everyone. This is Student Speak Out with Simone St. Pierre Nelson, and I'm your host, Simone. We're taking this month to do our first ever double feature, an episode on the 1st and the 15th, to talk about mental health in K-12 education. So, two weeks ago, I published an episode on the way mental health education is lacking in our schools, from the perspective of three high schoolers who were looking to make change in their communities. This week, we revisit one of those high schoolers, Ricky Bridges III. As a reminder, Ricky was the co-founder of his school's mental health club. We sat down to talk about why the club was necessary, how it was received, and his perspective on how to replicate his successes in other groups. I'm going to play the entirety of my interview with Ricky, so this is a pretty long episode. Stick around afterwards for a summary, reflections, and suggestions on what you can do to foster mental wellness in your school. Okay, one more thing. Uh, This interview is taking place over Zoom, so the audio can get a little fuzzy in places. I'll put up a transcript in the description. Okay, future Simone out, past Simone, take over. Tell me kind of your origin story. I know that you are kind you're the co-leader of your school's mental health club. How did that come to be? So hmm. I, I had a friend reach out to me who um wanted to have a club. And she she knows that it's a passion of mine. Um I was doing <laughs> TikTok videos over the summer where I would do those conversations about things like that. And she knew that I would take interest in it. So she reached out to me to see if I would want to um, lead the club. I didn't want to lead it. I wanted to do it with her since this was an equal passion of hers. So we decided that we would um, split responsibility with it. And we kind of just spread the news from there and the club was born. Cool. So you said, so you do, t- you do videos about mental health on TikTok. What are those? Well, like? I do just, um, just things to encourage people and keep them uplifted. Not so much like, you know, tip videos, but just a little encouragement to make this whole, quarantine living virtual school thing a little bit easier for people that is so cool okay so you make these tiktok videos and your friend approached you you start the club what does the club look like it's virtual Mm -hmm. but is it educational or is it more like a support group so it is an open forum type thing where you just come and you bring whatever it is that's bothering you in the moment. And based on what we know, we'll then address it that way. But we don't have just a lesson plan. Then we speak it out. It's 
what do you need? Once we find out what it is, we address it. Sometimes we don't really have the time to touch into the education because people just want to talk and get it out. And then we all end up sharing stories. And it was, it was only 30 minutes. So you can only do so much in 30 minutes. So we were just trying to be there for one another. And if time permitted, then we had time to uh, then do the lesson, lesson as planned. Cool. I'm hearing something that already is kind of, I've done um, an interview with somebody else and we were talking about SEL. Do you have social emotional learning at your school? I, no, we don't. We, um, so some schools have social emotional learning where they stand up in front of students and they're like, this is what depression is. And this is, if your friend's depressed, here's how you can yeah. tell, you know, stuff like that. But I think one of the biggest thing I've heard, things I've heard doing these interviews is that that curriculum doesn't work for people and they tune it out or make fun of it because it doesn't feel real or authentic. And when I've heard people talk about SEL that has been effective for them, it's been because it's personalized and it's asking what they need. So it sounds like in this group, you make a lot of space for the individual. So actually, now that you point that out, we did have that where our guidance counselor would come and it, it, I can't even say monthly. It's just she would just come whenever there was something happening at the school and then she'd do that lesson and then that would be it. So I guess we kind of did, just unofficially. Yeah. How, did, how was it received? Do you think that people like the guidance counselor no. days that it they was, came by? It was no. treated as a joke. People would fall asleep. It, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Would the guidance counselor talk about some of the same stuff that you were talking about in your group? Or do you think that the content mm -hmm. is I mean, the topics were the same. But there was that lacking of personal stories and that interpersonal connection that you need in order for something like that to be taken seriously and not laughed at. It didn't feel like it was a person-to-person -person connection. It just felt like you were being educated. And not a lot of people liked that, so they just didn't really care. And it kind of fell flat. Yeah. And did you have, um, so then like the next time your club met, you would just, and the guidance counselor wasn't there, you would go back to normal or did you go? Well, our guidance counselor didn't meet with us per se, just the school. Oh, with yeah. the whole school. Okay. I see. Cool. That's interesting. How big is your club? Um, it's only a, a couple people. Um, because people will fluctuate based on what they need. So if they need support, then they'll come. So it, it's always a, a different number. There's no set number. There is no, you know, members per se. It's just you just come for what you need. So it could be as high as like 10 people or as low as three. It just depends on how your week was going. So That sounds really nice. I, are you a fish, are you a school sanctioned club or like do you have I know at my school we're supposed to have chaperones for every club that we have so we're supposed to have teachers but I ran my Dungeons and Dragons club for a while and we never had anybody in the room with us is it something like that so we are we must have a sponsor 
So we have our school social worker and our school psychologist backing us. Solid, awesome. And are they in the room or are they just kind of like sponsoring um, in an administrative way? They both, because if something gets too heavy that we don't have the answer to as students, then they'll chime in as, you know, the educated specialist. That's awesome. It's really cool that you guys have those those resources, like having a school psychologist in your know, campus. How how big is your school? Um, so it's over a thousand people there. And it sounds cool on the surface to have those people there, but not a lot of people know that they exist. So it's almost like they aren't there because nobody knows. Like I didn't know we had a social worker or a psychologist. You barely know you have a guidance counselor because you can never reach them. So it was news to us and then news to the school once we told them, hey, they're here and people didn't know. Did you see um, like a, a sudden rise in numbers? If Once you were like, hey guys, we have a psychologist, do you think? I mean, I know it's really hard because in regular school, you'd have conversations in the hallways like, yeah, the psychologist. And so now that we're online, there's so much less interpersonal conversation. But how do you think the, the school at large was talking about it, if at all? I think the if at all part is the part. I, I, I think that answers it. I, I don't think there was much conversation, really. Yeah. Okay. Part of the problem was our meetings were during people's break time. So they weren't really all that eager to do something else on the computer. They wanted a minute away. So that had a lot to do with it too. And depending on how much work they had to do, uh, they were probably either doing that or doing something else that wasn't on the computer if they didn't have to be. Yeah. You guys used your break time to do it. And then I know that you said over the phone that your schedule changed. So now it's been a little bit less regular. What's happened to your schedule? So as children are coming back to school, there are different lunch periods and different schedules. Your schedule has to bend around your lunch period. And not everyone has the same lunch period, which means not everyone has the same break time, which means there is not one set meeting time. So everything that we had planned, we didn't know we were going to get a schedule change at, at the end of the school year, like three months later. We did like three months left in the year. We didn't expect that. So of course it happened because we weren't ready for it. So with those changes, um, people kind of stopped coming to the meetings. So we weren't able to have a club-wide conversation about a new schedule. So things kind of fell apart because we weren't able to have that conversation. Do you think that if you had maybe a little bit more structural support from your school, like if the principal had come and been like, hey, we're having this schedule shift and I want to make sure that your club can still meet. So let's yeah. figure it. Like if you had had like, officially dispersed ASB help or something do you think that your club would still be running or do you think that it's like with the schedule shift it would just be something that would be have to be after school or like mm -hmm. 
It's a good question. Um, my principal knew the club existed and let him know it existed. So whether he kept that in his memory banks is up to him. So um, he knew. I think support what well, helps anything, really. So if, well, he didn't really know about this. Our county is not that great with communication. So we were all trying to figure it out. And he had a lot of pressing things because we have different cohorts coming to school. So he had to make sure everything was set in place for different cohorts. So he had a lot. We had a lot as students and then as club leaders. Yeah, so support would have been nice in theory, but the circumstances didn't allow for such a seamless transition. How do you think, um, how do you think other schools could try? Because what I'm hearing is that it was a really effective and nice thing to have while it existed. <laughs> and maybe even if the word had gotten out a little bit more about it existing and about the counselors being there, it would have been even bigger and more successful. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like, how can other schools and other students try to replicate the kind of magic that you guys have going on? Because it sounds like you're fostering some really strong connections with one another and holding a space that I don't think like high schoolers are usually not vulnerable enough with each other to be able to have those kinds of discussions, you know, so right. like, how do you yeah. foster that space? Mm. So um, you can't be afraid. Um, you have to just take that initiative. And that's why people stand out as leaders. That's why that word, that label exists because not everyone is able to take that big step forward. Um, you also have to be okay with being let down sometimes. I think when you envision a club, you envision everyone to be as excited as you are because it's your motivation. But at the same time, you have to understand that doesn't always work that way. That's why different clubs exist for different needs and interests and likes. So you have to be willing to understand that some days you will have a big turnout, but then some days you'll have just your core group. And then based on what your club is, not having high numbers is good because you don't want the whole school having mental health problems. You want to be able to say, okay, most of our school can balance this out. So it's kind of good that not everyone was there. But at the same time, then you wonder, are there people who are afraid that, you know, if they come, they have to face some things about themselves they don't want to face. So assuming that everyone who didn't come was okay. I was okay with having low numbers because then that meant we were able to focus more on those who needed help because in theory, everyone else was doing okay. And even if everyone else wasn't okay, we still were existing and we still let it be known that we're here. So it's kind of two ways to look at it based on the numbers and outreach and everything. I think schools have to first know what their classmates need, what their schoolmates need. You would think that people would need this support system, but maybe they don't. Maybe they're okay. And trying to force a problem on people that doesn't exist won't work. So if people are, make, are letting it known, I'm cool, I'm good, you can't force them to want to have something like this. But if people need a space, 
then you create one, then it works. But if nobody's asking for it, if nobody's shown that they need it, then there isn't really a need for it per se. But if people are needing it and there is no space, then someone has to be willing to just run out there and create the space. So that's kind of how I look at it. How do you think adults who are trying to help students create this space for one another can be um, effective allies without like talking over students or making it feel like an adult run space or like a lesson, you know, because I think like there's a line to walk where it's like, it sounds like it's a really good thing that you have a school psychologist and a social worker there who have expertise, but how do you, how do they balance like, being able to give that and not talking every time somebody talks, right? <laughs> so I think that just comes with understanding your role um, because they understand it's student-led and they are just here so that the club can exist. I think <laughs> they know not to overstep their bounds and you kind of just know based on the whim. The children didn't come to be lectured they came for that connection with other students. So when you kind of just subconsciously have that understanding, you kind of know when to chime in, when not to chime in. Sometimes, well, I'll ask, you know, since I'm not a psychologist, what would you say such and such? Since you do know, then they will feed in. So they kind of come in when they know that where, where they're needed. And if they aren't needed, they'll just lay out and just let us take it from there. When I think about having effective mental health education, I think about how many more resources it's going to probably take. Like if I was to write policy about this, I would allocate so much money so that it could be an individualized curriculum. So it's like based on what students need, because it sounds like that's what people are saying they'll listen to. But do you think that there's any way that somebody could develop a one-size-fits-all curriculum around mental health, like at all, because I'm thinking about um, trying to get textbooks made or trying to get like anything made and how people who make social science, social studies textbooks are probably going to be like, well, you just put down the information. Like, why do you think that's so different? Hmm, not a good question. Um... You know, I think history doesn't change. You can always look back at history and say, this is how we got here. Mental health is not the same way because it's a, it's a personal, it's very personal type deal. And different ailments have different effects. So you can't tell one story about what it means to have depression because it's different for everybody. So if you're letting someone write a book about it who only has, let's say, half of the symptoms you would get, then somebody else who has the other half is like, where, where, where is my support? Where is my education? How do I? So then this that whole deal of, well, now I'm not getting the help I need. So you can't really take a one-size-fits-all type approach because it's so vast and so different. And that's why having a club like this is hard because you don't really wanna say something to set someone off and be 
inconsiderate or hurt someone to make a problem worse because my perception of one thing is different than somebody else's. And now, while I'm trying to educate you on one thing, I'm not hearing your story because I'm talking about something completely different than what you came to me for. So now it just feels pointless on my end as help and it feels pointless on your end as someone seeking help because we're both not doing what we're trying to do. So it would be nice and ambitious to try to create one resource for all, but it doesn't really work like that because one diagnosis has so many different symptoms and then it's almost like, what's the point if this doesn't benefit who I'm trying to help? Are you interested in psychology personally? Are you interested in going into study for that? Or is it just like a need that you saw and then wanted to help fill? Um, both. Um, I do have an interest in psychology because I think it's just great to understand the brain on that level. Um, and I do, I do want to teach. And part of that is, is so that students can have that teacher that they can come to and rely on. Kind of teachers I wish I would have had more of that I didn't really get until later. And at that point, it was kind of too late. So I, that, would, that would kind of be my motivation. So I do have an interest in that. And it was also, I guess you call it a hobby. I don't know how you make psychology a hobby, but you get what I'm saying. So it, it, that hobby plus the want to make it my living kind of coincides with each other. And if you can make your job, your hobby, your hobby, your job, that's kind of a great deal, if you ask me. I would agree with you. Hey, um, how, did you how did you get started looking at mental health and psychology as a hobby? Um. Once I realized I had my own struggles, it kind of was a need, not really a choice. Once I recovered from all my things I had going on, and I realized that it wasn't just me who had these struggles, and it wasn't just me who felt this way, I kind of just took an interest in it because if I can recover, so can somebody else. And it wasn't just, oh, let me try this. Because if everyone was able to do that, we would have more resources and better conversations about it. So it kind of just happened. Um, it became an interest of mine once I started looking into it and realizing that, you know, you can really help people this way. But in the beginning, that's not just something I was drawn to automatically. It was something I, I found once I was able to escape all the things that come with having your own mental um, issues. What do you think is the future of the mental health club? Hmm. Well, I don't think that's up for me to decide. I think that's up to the students, really. As long as students are requiring a safe space, whether I'm reading it or not, it'll still be here. The space doesn't exist or cease to exist based on people. 
it exists and ceases to exist based on need. The only reason a club such as this should end is when all needs have been met and when all problems have been addressed. But if everybody's need isn't met and if problems still exist, then such a club should not um, stop existing. So it isn't up to me to say, oh, the club will be around forever or we're going to shut down after this year. That's not for me to say because that either means I'm ignoring somebody's plea or I've just decided that everyone is okay. So that's not really for me to say. So I, I can say right now, it'll probably still be around next year because people will have to rebound from virtual learning to in-person learning and try to make sure that they retain information so they can be successful next year. So I can say it'll probably be around for another year. And then maybe people will be stressed out in senior year. So maybe it'll be around for that. And then there'll be a whole new group of students who may realize they need this space. So I guess it'll be here for a couple of years, but I won't be leading it because I only have so many years left at the school. But I can say for the rest of my tenure at my school, it'll probably be there till I'm gone. What do you get out of um, being able to lead this group? Is it like, do you, by sharing your experiences, is it like a support group where it's healing for you also? Or is it just something that you want to be able to give to other people? What is, why, why are you compelled to do it um, as a person? So part of it is old wounds that still need healing for me. Um, I'm a little selfish with it because it, it is my outlet that you don't really truly heal from these things all the way and it takes time. So part of it is for me so that I can finally get the thing that I needed for so long. Part of it is me being there for people, the friends of mine and seeing friends of mine start, start recovering. It's nice to be part of that, a small part of a big, a big thing like that. Um, and just seeing people realize their potential without me telling them what it is when they get to notice what I've seen for so long. And we're both looking at the same individual and the same person with the same great aspirations and the same goals. And once we have this much greatness in one room, how can you not be happy with what you're doing and want to keep doing it and want to keep bringing out the greatness in other people, whether you know them or you don't? It's allowing them to realize how great they are, even if they can't see it at that moment in time. But once they get there, that's so gratifying. And it's more important for me that they get to see it than for me to see it. Uh, so it can be hard to be on your computer all day long. But when you realize why you're doing it, all the benefits, all the positives of a person just wanting to still be here and share their greatness outweighs all of the negatives of being on the computer for too long and not having that connection. You kind of just got to know when to shut those things out because they'll be around for a while. But just that self-love and that growth and that camaraderie of people and realizing that being down, not wrong with that, it doesn't make you odd or anything like that. And just being a support system of 
one another and strangers becoming, I don't know if you say friends, but just able to share with each other, I think is reason enough to want to do it for as long as you can. Um, are there any questions that you thought I'd ask you or that you wish I'd asked you um, that I can ask you now that you think would be important? No, I think you've done a really great job with your questions. Thanks. I'm trying to ruminate. This has been a really, really great interview, Ricky. I really appreciate you taking the time. But I'm glad that's worked out for you. Welcome back. So if you're like me, you're probably somewhere between overwhelmed and inspired. The Mental Health Club has a lot of things going for it that regular mental health education doesn't. Things that Ricky credits with the club's success. Choice attendance, individualization, adult intervention only is needed, and a prioritization of open dialogue over prepared lessons. But how can we make something with all those secret ingredients at your school? And on top of that, try to ensure its resilience through schedule changes and school events. There are a few resources that can help. First of all, I'd be amiss not to plug another episode of this podcast, our pilot actually, on civic engagement. My interviewee, Balkis Mohammed, had some great ideas on how to get an interest group going in your school. Next, I have a few articles to read for theory's sake. An NPR story that really helped me understand the scope of this issue, a Medium article by Sean Ginwright on the future of healing, and an academic paper on mental health in schools that was really comprehensive. And finally, I have some resources from Student Voices Resource Bank. All of these links are going to be in the description for you. Okay, so that was part two of our Mental Health Month. Thanks again to Ricky Bridges III for being my interviewee. If you want to help out the show, you can subscribe to the feed and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about Student Voice, you can check out our website at stewvoice.org. And if you have any feedback, send me a suggestion at simone at stewvoice.org. As always, special thanks to my mentor, editor, and friend, Yvonne Mahesh, and to the rest of the Student Voice team. Your support is invaluable. The show's theme, as always, is Slow Fall by Henry St. Pierre Nelson. And thanks for joining me today. Take care of yourselves. Later.